So you're wondering what's on my t-shirt? I am. What is it? Call me? No, no. Keep calm and kill zombies. And kill zombies. Oh, are you a Walking Dead fan? Um, I was a fan of zombie narrows before The Walking Dead was became a thing. You would say that. You would say stuff like that. I know. I'm sorry, but it's true. It's true. It's true about, like, (laughs) Game of Thrones. It was true about, like, anyway. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't know how to shorten it into an acronym, but you are the type of person who liked things before they were cool, and then when they get cool, you love to shade them now that they're cool. Well, I think usually people just call that person a hipster. Oh. Yeah. Would you call yourself a hipster? Not in the mainstream sense, because, like, I don't think I participate in certain <laughs> aspects, but, like, definitely I, I admit that I'm a geek hipster. You're a geek hipster. Yeah. You're a geekster. Sure. Welcome to PhD This. <laughs> I'm Liz. And I'm Zain Yao. And geek we're hipster. a podcast about academia, culture, and social justice, and we're recording right before Halloween, which is not just the reason why I'm wearing this t-shirt, because I actually just wear it spooky. on a regular basis anyway. <laughs> Wait, what? I wear this sort of, I wear this t-shirt on a regular basis anyway. I also have um a sweater that says zombie apocalypse survivor on it that my family members gave to me. Both of these were that's, given to me by family. That's dope. Um have you ever played with dry ice before? Um I mean, I've interacted with dry ice, haven't played with dry ice. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Because I don't know how you interact with ice and not play with it. The point is, okay, so you, so in lab, you get these little packages, and they're trying to keep it really cold, so they give you, like, a oh, bunch yeah. of dry ice. And and one like, of my Ooh. favorite things to do, <laughs> right, one of my favorite things to do when I do get dry ice is to, like, put water over it, because then it starts foaming, and then just walking around going, because <laughs> then you have, like, it's fog. You, you make your yeah, own well, fog. And you're really bringing your own, like, mad scientist atmosphere. Right. And so it's life. Halloween now, and I'm like, spooky, creepy science. And I always wish I had food coloring so I can make it change color. I mean, it's a different light. Yeah. So anyway, I was really happy that my dry ice fell in line with Halloween. I got to be a little spooky today. Yeah, well, I guess, like, obviously, in the humanities, we don't have, dry, like, dry ice, but we we do study spooky things, like, the way that, you know, structural injustices in the U.S. continue to haunt us today. Like, I, I remember seeing this one joke. That's it's like, pretty oh, good, Zion. Like, I'm proud uh, of you. No, this, there's this one good. meme that I saw that was pretty good, which is like, oh, it's almost like America's cursed, as if it was built on stolen Indian <laughs> burial ground. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, that's so true. Uh, <laughs> Or that is native, yeah, indigenous lands. It's like, oh, well. Um. Oh, man, we wouldn't have puns without you guys. Yeah, well, so we would, but they probably suck. Eh. I don't know. But yeah, we well, thought this would be a, a special episode talking about pop culture once again, and also politics, because the November 8th election is coming up. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you can either vote for a nasty man or a nasty woman. Yeah, and so as people that would probably <laughs> See what I did there? Called, See what I did na- there? Yeah, nasty women. We wanted to talk about that. Um, <laughs> did you watch that last debate? No. So I don't know if this makes me a bad American, but I, in general, I like to read things and rather than watching them. I don't think that makes you a bad American. Because I, <laughs> I, I, I think that it just feel the debate the debates feel very theatrical to me. Oh yes. They feel like and in particularly now they feel more reality show esque than they actually do seem to be driven by information. Mm-hmm. Um so I tend to read about it afterwards to and then go back and try to sift through things. And um based on the first two debates, you know, all I ever heard being talked about in recaps and articles or from other people where oh this person had really horrible facial expressions or like maneuvers this person interrupted this person this many times this many look at this pantsuit so I just didn't really feel like they'd be very substantial yeah that's exactly how I feel as well um and I feel like that's a critique that I have been seeing that as many as as much as they're 
have been so many outrages from it. every of all the debates have been like generating a lot of news at the same time. There's very little substantive policy being discussed. Or, yeah, I think if if a if a debate isn't pure is bo- if a debate isn't boring, it's not good in a way. I mean, if it's not something that gets into details, then they weren't talking about stuff. And I find people commenting about the presidential debate the same way they would. Um, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta or Real Housewives mm-hmm. of Hollywood and I think that's a problem yeah and, I, and of course so Liz and I are also referring from the last debate the thing that became this huge meme that became a huge pro um, Hillary meme mm-hmm. uh, when Trump called her a nasty woman um, yeah and it was interrupting her and said you're you're mm-hmm. such a nasty one wo- what a nasty such a nasty woman and um yeah, and it's been interesting at seeing it such a rallying point because now we're seeing like a lot of women. It's been a way of like calling out um, votes for women, um, but also I think like uh, and like you're seeing um, a lot of things about like the the first gen like w- generations of women who are able to vote finally being able to vote for a woman president. But I think this also what I'm interested in talking about is like this complicated relationship between how in order to make Hillary be cool, I feel like this. There's this way that she's people are trying to associate her with again things like Janet Jackson or the Death Row oh, Records yeah. um, meme. But Wait, also, what like, was the second meme you mentioned? Death Row, um, because um, people are Death Row. Mixed, yeah, there's this whole meme about her different debate outfits looking like iconic outfits oh, um, from, from Death Rappers. Row Records. Yeah, so like the all white uh, suit. People are comparing her to Tupac um, mm. wearing all whites, and there's a cut. That's the main one I remember, but. Um, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I... Hmm. Hmm. And I guess to me what's interesting is um, I also did a, a little bit of reading for the backstory. This is like... Oh, right. So perhaps brings us into conversation about like ongoing about like the history of women's suffrage and that there was a st- definite divide sometimes between white women's suffragists and black women suffragists. Because on the Trump side, um, also in the past couple weeks, been seeing that they've been complaining that women are the reason that Trump would lose. And like they're telling, saying that they should repeal the amendment that allowed women to vote. Yeah, repeal it. I I saw that repeal the 19th. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the actual... I... What I was trying to say was I saw it. I don't know how big it was mm-hmm. because one thing that's true for all of these things is the actual concentration, the density of the people saying these things it becomes very amplified or it becomes mm-hmm. disproportionate. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I saw it. I don't know how many people were genuinely like, let's literally not have women vote anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping it was a small number. But the fact that it was there at all was also, like, really troubling. Very troubling. Not to mention there are women voting for Trump. Um, yeah. And um, I don't know if pe- you've probably seen that. some people are very going ideological, about so yeah. they're going to vote Republican no matter what. No matter yeah, what he says. The map's showing, like, if different demographics voted, mm-hmm. what the electoral map would look like. Mm-hmm. And for all the ones with pe- people of color, it could always go Democrat. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting is it showed the divide that, like, if just white women voted, Trump would still win. Mm. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I could, I could see that, too. I've been... Okay, so... Based on everything that's been happening in thinking about how people seem to be voting for Trump in the light of what I would consider to be good reasoning, I've been trying to force myself to uh, think in a different way, which is to say, why are people doing these things? Why are people still voting in these ways that don't seem to really make sense to me? And um, one of the things I've been thinking about, particularly as I've been trying to find Trump people, and that's been hard because I think a lot of people that I associate with are um, anti-Trump. Now, mm-hmm. they're not always like pro-Hillary, but they are anti-Trump, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so yeah. it's hard to find those people who are willing to be pro-Trump 
in my in my circle. Um, but one of the things that I've been hearing about, and I think it kind of makes sense, is um, is that when people are voting for Trump, they're not voting for him for um, like moral or social ideology reasons they're voting for him for economic reasons and I Mm. think that's really different if you compare it to the past or some people may have voted Republican to um because they were Christian so they were so like promoting the belief in the heterosexual marriage as an example so like Republican presidents could run on that campaign of like I'm going to vote against gay marriage and I'm going to vote for Christian values. And that used to be a big thing, but it seems like in this election, people are more concerned about the economy. People are more, people really are attracted to this idea that Trump can bring jobs back to the U S and not just any job, but manufacturing jobs, which are the jobs that people who are voting for him have no, don't, don't don't have anymore. And Mm -hmm. so there, it's not that they don't see that he does these silly things, well, things I'm calling silly, but they don't care because they want the other thing. Like, they've for, foregone the, the social things that used to seem somehow make sense to people. And yeah, I, th- I think that when we keep... Because I, I think we keep laughing at Trump and they take it really... They get offended because you're, you're making fun of the person who seems to be the one that wants to help them. But I was going to say that what I think is interesting, and there's been, I think, quite a bit written, is it, as what you're describing is that there's this sort of splintering with the way that the, the right before, I think it was in Reagan, the Reagan era, that mm-hmm. they really tied both um, conservative economic policies to the idea of the moral majority, which is exactly that sort of conservative values yeah. that you're talking about that that call together evangelicals, but Trump has managed to, is starting to actually splinter the, the moral, well, those who consider themselves probably the legacy, the moral majority on the right with economic demands of the moral majority mm-hmm. on the right. So it's been interesting to me when I have a crumb across like articles from conservative evangelicals who feel torn precisely for that reason. Um, yeah. Or uh, you have people that- in the press where because of, social media because we have recorded all of these things you can literally go back even as as early as even four years ago or like eight years ago and you can hear people saying i need someone who's be president should have good moral judgment and someone who's be president should have like so like upholding the idea that someone's ability to make good moral decisions directly affects how good they can be as a president and and yet Today, they're saying just because someone is bad in their personal life doesn't mean they won't be a good president. Like, you, you can actually mm-hmm. see those dichotomies. Um, some of the reporting, like John Oliver or um, Trevor Noah on The Daily Show, have really been showing that. But I'm so perplexed. But in a way, I'm not because every, they're frustrated. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I don't understand, and maybe you'll have something to say about this too. I don't understand why people hate Hillary Clinton so much. Um, I don't understand. And maybe we can talk about this and and you have a good answer for this, I hope, but I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand the intensity. I don't, I don't understand why it is so intense and I don't understand how it is even possible to be considering. How can you hate her so much that you would rather vote for Trump? Mm. how do you oh consider God, her to be any worse for the country that so I that I don't get and I keep going back to things that well is it how much of this is because my one okay my one theory is that um she's really running at the wrong time unfortunately which is to say that all the anti- all the pro-establishment candidates or people who who have a long history of running in politics, like a political career, are not doing very well because people are very frustrated with politics or career mm-hmm. politicians right now because they feel like nothing's being getting done, so they want to see fresh faces. So that's why, in this example, Jeb Bush was not really successful this presidential term, this presidential cycle. 
but maybe eight years ago he would have had a chance. And I mean, it's it could you could stand the reason that the the current political situation is not good for someone like Hillary Clinton, who's been um who's been in po- politics for so long. Has a record. Sorry, does it make mm-hmm. sense? I don't know. Yes. No, I think it does. It totally makes sense. So I feel like my answer has is it has to be a multi-part answer because I think <laughs> that d- different people hate um, Hillary Clinton for different ways. And of course, the, the, the easiest one to address, first of all, of course, has to do from misogyny. And like, I think that's why the nasty woman comments resonated yeah. so much um, with, with women generally is that, of course, we know that there's a lot of studies been done that like if any woman is a position of power, she's seen as being, you know, bossy or bitchy, whereas men would be seen as assertive. And so a lot of the way that we see anti-Hillary rhetoric being coded and has been um, ever since she entered public life was a sort of suspicion about um, what does it mean to be a woman in politics and does you, does that mean you have to give up in their mind like certain thing, uh, certain aspects of like what it makes for an acceptable woman in terms of passivity or quiet, um, quiet, being quiet and being agreeable. And she doesn't do that because she's effective. And because of that, a lot of the backlash, the way it tends to be coded about her appearance, about her role as, as a wife, as a mother, comes from a place of misogyny. Uh, that being said, I, I would ha- want to speak that I, I've I and maybe like uh, a lot of other people I know who are leftists are skeptical of Hillary because of her links to to say like major mm-hmm. banks, um, her refusal to talk about it, but also because she's been so tied with like American intervention, say into Central and South America that has led to assassinations and a lot of death. Um, and her, my understanding is that a lot of her foreign policies would continue the sort of hawkish American approach to other nations that would continue U.S. violence, U.S. imperialism. Mm-hmm. So I think it is a, a multifaceted thing that, as as you yourself said, like the, on the one hand, she has an existing record, so it's very easy for people to jump on. Another thing is that it's very easy for people to. Um, to hate Hillary because of misogyny, but also I do think that there are legitimate reasons of policy that people can also be skeptical about. Also, I think that some things have been disappointing over the past few months, of course, have been her responses to Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And something I just saw today was sort of her her campaign's response to the, uh, to the Dakota Pipeline um, protests going on right now at Standing Rock. Um, and so people, are frustrated with her lack of action. So I was just yeah. saying that, like, Black Lives Matter. Yes. Uh, on the topic of Black Lives Matter, so another thing I was saying that I think that we're seeing a lot of disappointment among people who are progressively minded and young people that um, our generation is perhaps more mobilized now because of Black Lives Matter and, like, um, right now the um, protests against the Dakota Access Pipeline happening. Yeah. And Hillary, unfortunately, is like, not taken strong stances on those issues. She's only done it when um, politically expedient. Um, her campaign just released a statement about uh, Standing Rock today that was sort of like a, a non-statement, which is sort of disappointing given the amount of state violence that's going to that space and, of course, it's being underreported. So I think that that maybe that's another aspect of the, the way that she represents the sort of politics-as-usual mentality that frustrates a lot of people. And I wonder if, like, people are, again... So, more... in other words, there are valid concerns about Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And, uh... and simultaneously also very ridiculous, clearly gendered interpretations of her. Yeah. And we are doing very little. Not only are we not... And I'm when I say we, I mean, like, the general po- populace, media, um, everyone, not really trying to discern which is which for each individual case... But we also don't have a precedent for it, a precedent for even having to do that. Like we can't, she can't be imperfect. And she also can't have opinions that a man would probably have and not be questioned for. 
Yeah, and I think it's difficult because, for example, on the, the case of misogyny, like on the one hand, we see that the nasty woman thing has become a rallying cry for a lot of women. And you feel sort of obligated to support her for that reason, but then how can you also have nuance towards the things that you want her to be better at? And I think that seems particularly difficult mm-hmm. for people to to discern. So, for example, sometimes you do see people who might have um, perhaps more legitimate concerns about Hillary Clinton and, and then being written off for being misogynist for bringing up any criticism whatsoever. Or like, how can right. you be a good feminist if you're being critical of Hillary Clinton? And so mm-hmm. I think that further complicates um, any sort of discussion if we were trying to like, like there's no way to, right, to like have remember a discussion that, of just policy, um, I guess. Who was it? Who said that women who don't support women should burn in freezing hell or something like yeah, that? Yeah, oh yeah, I can't remember. And that's was. kind of like that similar thing. And it is a generational thing too as well, right? Like a lot of older feminists are saying, we finally have a woman running for president. Why are you not voting for her solely because she's a woman? Why are you arguing with her? Why are you demanding more from her? And younger people are saying, uh, but she did this, but is she going to stick up for my rights? And older women are again saying, how dare you? You're so disrespectful. We worked so hard for you. And now you're not going to support this woman who supports you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting dialogue right now. Yeah, and because of that, that's why I was interested in looking at like the 19th century and early 20th century history of suffrage because, of course, like the way that we are taught about the sort of movement to give women the vote is often with like white feminists like Susan B. Anthony and, and mm-hmm. so forth. But there were a lot of black women like Ida B. Wells and, and others who also, um, and, and um, Sojourner Truth, who were also advocating for women's suffrage. But, and the problem was like a lot of the early white women suffragists were racist um, mm-hmm. and saw that the white woman's vote had to come uh, at the expense of like abolition or for black men. And of course, completely like forgetting about the role of black women. And that even with um, the amendment that gave women suffrage, that often meant just white women still, because not until the 1960s, the Voter Rights Act did like black women end up like really having the barriers go away at the same time. So it's a completely mm-hmm. uneven process. So I think that we're seeing perhaps sort of this repetition of it. Like when we say that we want to support women through Hillary, there's like these ongoing discussions about like which women get to be supported. And so that's why I also think like yeah. the nasty woman thing is really interesting because it's being used as a rallying cry, but also it's perhaps trying to attribute some like the coolness of Janet Jackson. And you've been, I've been seeing memes of like, you know, Hillary Clinton being mashed up as Janet Jackson, which yeah. is really entertaining. But at the same time, like it, I think it, it also talks about this really complicated history of who, which races are a particular type of brand of feminism really for. Right. Yeah, because it's definitely what I've noticed is that the women rallying cry really hasn't resonated with a lot of people. And I I guess looking, I don't know, if I were just an observer, if I'm an alien who just got to the earth, I guess, and thinking, why aren't people, why aren't more people excited about her being a woman? I mean, when Barack Obama was running for president, I was totally excited and amazed and energized about the idea of him being president um not only because he's a great orator and he kind of it's hard to not listen to him and go damn that was hopeful (laughs) he's he's very good at what he does but also because he was black and like oh my goodness and then his wife is black there's gonna be a black first lady and you know I don't as a woman I don't I I don't feel like that particular sense of pride and I've also noticed a lots of other people like they're that cry isn't working that rallying moment is not galvanizing anything and I totally see this the nasty thing is something where it's like Donald Trump is being so horrible to her that people are like okay this that's actually pretty sexist and where she doesn't always get a lot of people I don't know, it's hard to support her sometimes things she does. This one's like, okay, that was uncalled for. That was a strike. So let's support her. And all these Janet Jackson memes are making her look cooler than she really is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was, and I was also just thinking about how 
I love memes and I think memes, I don't know when it started, but I recognize them as a way people of color in particular talk about things. Mm-hmm. Like black people are all over Tumblr. Tumblr is nothing but memes and Twitter and Vine. And, mm-hmm. and so all of these kind of um, social media ways of communicating, making fun of things. So things become like they trend. They become a little popular for a minute or so. And it's kind of interesting to see how other people catch on that or try to try to make that larger. I also wonder if I also almost wonder if like the lack of excitement. Well, I, I first of all, I, I do see people who are really excited about Hillary Clinton, and I think that like because last episode we're talking about Broad City, and we can see the Abby and mm-hmm. Alana. Like those people are super excited. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's not just because of our our skepticism of her as being representative of a particular type of feminism, but also like is it also because this is like the aftermath of Barack Obama being president that like people had so much hope in terms of what he can do in terms of representation. And we've seen what he can't like what representation can and can't do. That is precisely because Obama came president that helped to galvanize some of and make even more mainstream certain types of racism in America. Like Mm. we've seen the way that it creates a type of backlash. We've seen that it's really important that Obama does certain things, but also we've seen the way that he has also disappointed um, people in terms of promises like about Guantanamo, about like, things about having to do with drones, a lot of um, U.S. imperialism overseas. And Mm -hmm. so it's sort of like a lot of the hope that he marshaled in terms of what does it mean to be the the first ex-whatever president. And now we've seen like, oh. we're all hoped out. And so that's not worth it for her. Yeah. So it's all, yeah, both all hoped out and that like with her just being the first one, we know now to temper our enthusiasm appropriately because we know that representation only takes us so far. Maybe. No, I, I think it's a valid comment. There's a, I always hear critiques about Barack Obama's presidency. And I I always think it's interesting because I never I never put that pressure on him to be mm-hmm. like the one thing that would solve everything because yeah. that doesn't make sense. Because one president no matter what what the president looks like, the president can't change things that quickly that's not how the system works that's not how the constitution yeah, the silver, is set yeah, up the, house the and government and all that yeah and so i never so while i expected him to have certain goals him not reaching them never meant that he didn't try especially with the political climate that we have where bipartisan support for things is just you know really low people aren't working together People are vetoing, you know, bills by him, which prevent us from, well, that's another story. But I never had those expectations, so he never let me down. Mm -hmm. But I do know people who feel like, um, as an example, you know, we got gay marriage. We got, and I'm kind of directly quoting someone, we got gay marriage. Um, We got, like, women's equal pay voting like equal pay rights um what did he do for black people and so so people feel like he did something for women he did something for gays how come he didn't do anything for black people and I remember saying you know there are black people who are gay (laughs) right Uh and there are black people who are um who are women so 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 why is that not still progress but they guess I was like did you want Barack Obama just to say like to make a bill that said all black people get $20 you know like to make something that explicitly said black people get this and, and, and like in a way that's what some people were looking for some people were literally looking for laws that just went above and beyond they wanted him to use his presidential power to say black people should have a holiday black people should get like like undo all of the laws that cause discrimination in the legal system yeah and, and that, um, yeah. i'd say that what's perverse is that even though he hasn't done that there's still the perception on the right and among like white supremacists that that's what he's trying to do right? <laughs> yeah um i would say though that like perhaps what's sort of became complicating is that 
as you say, Barack Obama ended up representing um, all different type, uh, representing a homogenous type of black politics, which is completely not true. And we could see that he's, it's not the type of like liberation politics that people, more radical people want at all. Um, I've seen good critiques of like some of this, I forget one of the speeches he gave at an HBCU that had to do like the sort of um, meritocratic pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Like we have no excuses. You guys have to mm -hmm. um, shape up, which of course it falls in line with a particular type of uh, legacy of respectability politics. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he was never going to be the radical that some people wanted him to be. A book I read that just came um, this came out early this year from a new pr uh, professor at Princeton. Her name is Kianga Yam Yamada Taylor, called From Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation. And I mm -hmm. think that a lot of our listeners, if they haven't yet heard of it, uh, would probably be quite interested in reading it. And I know people are starting to sign it on their syllabi. Mm. Um, but part one chapter is particularly dedicated to what did the Obama presidency mean in terms of race relations in the U.S. and how did that aggravate or exacerbate different aspects of the violence and politics surrounding that led to um, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's also written, I think, very accessibly. Um, so... I definitely, so you're I think saying I'll understand it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think that people, you don't have to be uh, like deeply immersed in like humanity scholarship to be able to appreciate it. Because I, <laughs> I do think like it's not as jargony as some of our work can be. Um, okay. Now yeah. I'll, I will, I will check it out because, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I've said this before in, in other podcasts, but... I do feel myself being very sensitive around how President Obama is judged or mm -hmm. even how other prominent black people get judged, particularly when they become the first people to do things mm -hmm. because it it's it's always it always feels good dandy if you do dan if you don't and yeah. um you end up becoming a symbol. But you're not a symbol. You're a person with beliefs and ideals. And your blackness is just one of those. And I think I'm also sensitive because I wonder when that moment's going to come when I do something that other black people don't like. Yeah. You know, like, a, like I'm waiting for that moment when I get called all sorts of words. In, or when something I do somehow doesn't seem to match up with the fact that I'm black or that I'm a woman or a southerner or whatever, you know, identity people want to say should have been the one where I should have behaved in a certain way or done something. Or that maybe what, what if one day my actions don't seem to people to be reflective of being pro-black when maybe they are, but you just don't understand the game that I'm mm -hmm. playing. Like, you don't understand the strategies that I'm trying to do to support some measures that I have so that that always kind of scares me um and, I, and maybe some of that is also because I because I am on social media and I see what happens when people when people get attacked on media or like when mm -hmm. they when they become when things they do become um very popular to criticize and yeah. um I don't know I just kind of I'm, I'm, I, I don't know how I'm going to react when that happens. That's definitely why I was scared for us to even do the podcast initially, I have to say. Um, because I know that the price of a type of public presence is, even though we should know better about the complexity of individuals, like, we still end up holding them to such high standards. And on the one hand, I think it's really great that because of grassroots social media, we were able to like draw together criticism and, and activism in a way that we haven't before, but at the same time, it allows for a type of knee-jerk reactionary reaction and criticism to happen that makes it very easy to elide a lot of the nuances that go yeah. 
with events and with people and it's easy to jump on that bandwagon and I've definitely done that and I could see how it's really difficult to recover from that because no person is like a static voice of a particular ideology like we're all growing and trying to learn and I've often been lucky that when I've made missteps like I have friends that can call me out at it and then I'll try to be better but the more public you become the more that record stays with you and you're being called to answer it and to be perfect in a way that you can't be because you're a person yeah yeah like I one of the things I think about with the podcast is I don't know if you remember our conversation on imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and at the time um I, I I remember I was very I don't know I don't want to say confused but I was I was ambivalent about it in a way because yeah but I was also but I was really just ambivalent about saying anything because I really didn't want what I didn't want what I was saying to be construed as I don't think it exists and it has no space I was really just thinking about the times where I do feel where the times where oh, what am I trying to say I don't know if it should always be applied and I don't know if mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just thinking about times where I felt pretty confident and I liked what I was doing or I, I but I felt like people it I always had to be an imposter it just felt like there's an identity around it and I didn't always want to have the identity when I didn't feel the identity. Mm-hmm. And I still don't even know if what I'm saying really makes sense. But I was really and probably still am sensitive to the idea of my message in any way saying that it doesn't exist or it's not real. Mm-hmm. Because I think that um, people, I don't know, Dine. I give up. I mean, let's, let's just go back to the right topic. I no, just, no, I just get really nervous about it because when people listen to it, and you know, like, and I think every now and then, like, what were you trying to say? Like, do you think it's not real? Do you, do you, do you think you've never had it? And that's not what I'm saying at all. At all, I just, I always, it's just I don't like always feeling like I, I'm supposed to feel bad no, about I, myself. No, I completely get what you're saying. Like, there's all this the time that- or. I think you're you're trying to what? we're trying to push back against the way that our identity Uh-oh. like there's one thing to say that like our lives and experiences are structured by things but there's another way when we we don't want it to be over to determined by them like just because it is imposter syndrome for example is part of like the structural reality doesn't mean that everything has to be reduced to it like there's a difference between recognizing that structures in play and having everything absolutely just being reduced to it and having no individual agency I think that's part of what you're getting at. I think so, but I couldn't hear you all the way. Oh no! I know audio problems. <laughs> but I believe it was very eloquent. I I heard the part about how you don't want to be reduced to it all the time. Do you feel like you've ever been called a nasty woman or some equivalent? Um. Hmm. Because I can't help but again think that uh, to the earlier point of that the way that um, Hillary, the kind of type of misogyny that Hillary Clinton has been uh, facing is one that like a lot of women in position of powers get. And so I feel like that is something a lot of women in academia also have to, to cope with. Like, I don't think I've ever been, I've never been called a nasty woman, but I often wonder if like my attempts to establish my authority in the classroom are seen as bitchy as opposed to authoritative. Um, I think that I have been viewed as, well, uh, humorless or like oh no I think the phrase is like lacking any discernible sense of humor oh my god what um, it wasn't it wasn't in a classroom setting it was just like in a, in a social setting and it came up and I thought it was kind of hilarious um, but I feel like that's also something that tends to be levied against women who are vocal and critical that oh you're being said like you're, you don't have a sense of humor why can't you just lighten up so that is something that I've experienced so I've never been called a nasty woman, but I have been called sassy, which might be like the black version of being called nasty. Um, yeah. Particularly if I if I'm expressing myself, and then it's like, oh, you're being sassy, or you know, stop being whatever that is. 
yeah and like there's the whole like way that um yeah like the stereotype of like the sassy black friend and things like that that yeah you know what's what i've always found interesting Mm -hmm. well i'm just thinking about the ways in which I think some people, as a black woman, people expect me to be angry. They expect, so if I actually yell or if I do something, it's not that I get away with it, but it's more, almost more tolerated or something. Um, I still remember like one of my uh, bosses at one point in my life, just like, it's like, but you're, you know, you're a black woman. It's like, you can do that. That's okay if you do that. It's post, you know, like. You're sassy. I can't get away with doing that in the workplace. Um, and it's kind of weird because I I don't know. That's, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that because they say I can get away with it, but I'm also like, I can't get away with that. I can't do that. That's not really mm-hmm. how that works. And also there's perhaps something dismissive that, like if you're being coded as sassy, that's the way of maybe also dismissing the way that you're, you're bringing up genuine critique sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's being sort of dismissed, like, oh, it's just her acting sassy. Yeah. And also think about the way that Hillary Clinton is viewed versus Michelle Obama. Like Michelle Obama is golden right now. Like no one yeah. can touch her. No one. And yeah, supposed- she's very open about how she feels and what we should be doing. And she gives her opinion. And it's I think it's, I'm, I guess I'm not upset about it because I, I guess I'm on the bandwagon, but it's weird in that I don't know if Hillary Clinton could do the same thing and get the same love. Well, I do think it's rather different, though. Like, I mean, yeah, Michelle explain. has gotten so much hate also from for the same type of misogynistic reasons. Mm, like, true, she has. So much critique about her body. And like, yeah. I think maybe the maybe also reason why we love Michelle Obama is that she exemplifies like sort of the blackness that we want Obama to have and also the type of woman that we want Hillary mm. to be able to embody. But mm. because she's not a politician the way that either of them is in quite the same way, she is perhaps more free to be herself. Yeah. Not that she's entirely free at all, but like she's not she's free at all. To, at I know, all. like but she's able to explore it perhaps in a different mm-hmm. way than either of them are. And of course herself being her also she being her own person, of course. And the other interesting thing that I've been thinking about is maybe it's also because Michelle's not directly in politics. She's openly said, I'm not running for president. That'll never happen. Mm -hmm. So, and mind you, I think that's actually truly what she wants to do. She doesn't want to do that, but it could be that some people are saying that as she's staying in her place, so we can respect that. She's not trying okay. to like be first lady and then become president the way Hillary is. Like for some, I don't know, maybe some misogynist leaning or like people who think women should only be doing certain things. I don't know. That's a stretch, but I just, it's really interesting to me because it's almost like Hillary, for whatever reason, can't say what she wants. She has to get other people to say it for her. Like somehow Hillary could say the sky is blue and no, and we're like, oh her again but then elizabeth warren could get up there and she's like the sky is blue and everyone's like yes we see it we see it you know or or michelle could go up there and say yeah you know what i think it's magenta blue Uh, i don't know i just made something up but i was like yeah what would magenta blue look like anyway but it's a beautiful sunset or sunrise actually yeah but but you know what i'm saying it's like everyone gets excited about other people but not about Hillary. Hillary, it's a little weird how how on and off it is. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's so hard to set. Well, I guess it's the case with anyone who's in the public eye, especially politicians. Like, to what extent is it Hillary the politician versus Hillary the person versus public mm-hmm. perception? Hillary, like, there's like so many different layers of persona that you have yeah. to like, and because she's been in politics the longest at this point is the most public in that point like it it seems like part of the frustration has to come with the fact that there is a necessary way that any person in public has to juggle through multiple personas and that's another reason why people don't trust her is that she's the most visible symbol of the way that there is a necessary negotiation between different levels of personae Mm. no i agree that there are but given 
the other characters like Michelle, if you're just keeping this up, Michelle Obama and Elizabeth Warren, who are public figures, who I don't know how long Warren has been in politics, but they are doing the same thing Hillary's doing. But they are being, mm. they are perceived differently and they express themselves differently. Yeah, that's true. They're seen as being a lot more authentic, whatever, like an authentic, of course, is a very loaded term, but. Right. Because unfortunately, I do think, I do think authentic, when people say they want Hillary to be authentic, they want her to get it mad, is what they're really saying. They want yeah. her to go, fuck you guys, I'm sorry, I know I'm swearing on the podcast, but F you guys, I'm awesome, Um, you guys are sexist, my pantsuits are awesome, <laughs> I'm great, <laughs> Um, I don't need Bill. You know, it was like they want her to speak off on everything and just kind of show some emotion, which I also think is unfair. She shouldn't have mm-hmm. to show. I don't know. She That's not part of the job description. That's not what she needs to do. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm just aware. That's kind of like where I leave myself in this conversation, just kind of. I see that this is happening. I don't understand the levels. I know that it's not just sexism. Mm-hmm. And I also know it's not just her politics. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's almost impossible to untangle these things as we are first struggling with it. But I think it's very episode. unfortunate. I think I do think it's <sighs> unfortunate for not only for her candidacy as, you know, the first woman, because it it's like this should be a shining moment for American history. This should be great. And it's not. You know, so even if she does come become president, and I do hope that she does, it's like she's gonna get so much um so much backlash, so much so many people fighting against her. And that's the same way that Barack Obama did. That, yeah, and then people yeah. were going to say that she was ineffective because she was a woman. When that, that's not well, she wasn't ineffective because she was a woman. She was ineffective because everyone was fighting her. Although, I mean, like at the same time, I and because of the political climate right now. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't know if we could ever say that there's been a moment in U.S. politics or any type of like political history that is ever unblemished that we could True. ever hold up as a perfect moment. True. Like only history that, yeah. makes it unblemished. Yeah. And very only certain ideological bends to history. So in a way, like maybe it's good also that there's already dissent and criticism. Cause I, my hope is always that the more critical we can be, that we can make next time better, even though there's nothing, there's no such thing as perfect. We have to keep on striving. Yeah. And my hope is, as we keep striving, I think we should also try to make sure we bring each other along for the ride. Mm -hmm. One of the things that distresses me about the current political situation is how polarized things are. Mm -hmm. And um, while I don't agree with what Donald Trump says, like some of the things he says, I don't. I also don't think it's a good idea to just simply laugh at him and keep making fun of him. I mean, mm-hmm. it was maybe that was funny at first, but he's clearly not a joke to some people, a lot mm-hmm. of people. And to continue to laugh at them as if they don't know we're laughing at them is not helpful. That's actually just sowing. Yeah, continuing to they're just getting, I don't know. I, I, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that when people believe in something, Laughing at them has not made them see the folly of their ways. It's made them become stronger in their beliefs. Mm -hmm. You make them feel like they're being prosecuted and they just get stronger. And so I I, I I think we need more understanding. We need more of, okay, no, we're probably not going to agree on everything. Can we find something that we can agree on and try to make this work? Because the way it stands right now... Most of the country feels like if either one of them gets elected, they're going to move to Canada. 
like like people feel like if Donald Trump is gonna if Donald Trump wins, I'm moving away. And I think there's another pod part of the country that thinks if Hillary Clinton wins, then we're gonna go start killing everybody, you know, or like doing crimes, hate crimes. So yeah. that's not a country that we should live in, and it's really depressing. I this mean, should be a democratic so- change of power, and I think it, you know, it's gonna be bad, and that's not okay. I- I was wondering if, uh, did you see the SNL sketch about Black Jeopardy and the Trump supporter? No, I didn't. Because uh, I, I have been seeing that as perhaps one of the more surprising moments that showed that the what was surprising about that sketch and what I saw very favorable um, criticism about is that usually the Black Jeopardy sketch in SNL is done to like show disparities between like different groups. But in this, what was the surprising thing is that the, the white Trump supporter ends up agreeing with a lot of things that the contestants and host in the SNL Black Jeopardy um, also care about. And so it actually shows the way that like the type of what is has been seen as the image of this, the, the poor white Trump supporter actually has a lot of vested interests on in the same things that like, um, like a lot of disenfranchised African-Americans do as well. Yeah. Um, and so that was one thing that the sketch did a really clever way, but then it also like ends with like some of the like uh, some of the gen- genuine problems, but because this is one of the sketches that actually, rather than focusing on differences, also like showed certain commonalities come through. Yeah, and I think that's why it's been lauded quite a bit on on social media. Yeah, I mean, it, again, the I think the reason why Trump has so many supporters is not because of the, you know, the things he said that make minorities feel scared in this country. It's because of his economic promise. It's because he's saying he's going to bring jobs back. And jobs are something that a lot of people want, particularly jobs that you don't really need an education for, you know, because college is difficult to pay for. And I mean, I just see that appeal for a lot of people trying to wreck manufacturing jobs. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, um, that's why I think that's why Trump is appealing to people. I think that's why they're so people are so willing to overlook the other things that he says and does. And also people are so frustrated. They're like, well, we tried all the reasonable looking people. Let's try this other person. Yeah. And so it's interesting. This election, sorry. um, I think it's interesting that this election has brought out on both sides of the political spectrum, like this hope in figures like Trump and Bernie Sanders that, Mm -hmm. that seem to offer new voices and breaking out of the status quo, although obviously in very different directions. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. People, people want real change. They do. They really do. And again, that's why I think it's unfortunate that Hillary's running now because Mm -hmm. Even if she could offer real change, she does. She isn't a new person, and they're just not looking for her like that. They don't want people. Don't want someone who's been here for a long time. And she, unfortunately, is someone who's been around for a long time. And also, I, I think it's really interesting because a lot of people are very critical of her, and I'm not sure she was prepared for that level of criticism. Like, as an example, uh, I know people are like, hey, how come in the 90s she supported this crime bill that highly discouraged or highly influenced black people? Yeah, yeah. And she's like, Super what were you talking about? I love black people. And we're like, well. You kind of screwed over. Not based on these laws. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. yeah, she doesn't do very well in these interviews or the questions. And I think what's interesting is um, – Another thing that we're seeing is like people are just like, oh, both um, candidates are so are, which is the lesser of two evils. And one thing I've been seeing from um, friends or people of color, especially friends who are black, is like, well, this has always been the case for marginalized people in the system that like neither, no candidate is going to be perfect. We have to work with different types of mm-hmm. evil. And what is like, like that's always, we've always been compromised. Right. One of my favorite memes to come out of this, have you seen the Rihanna? No. What? Meme that, like, 
So this this Rihanna meme, like, it's been used for a bunch of things, but it's like Rihanna at a war show and she like dismissively like chucks this paper at a guy. <laughs> um, and like people are and people have been using it as a meme of like, this is how I feel about voting with Hillary for the election. It's like, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it so begrudgingly and critically. Mm-hmm. Um, the gr- like, I, can, I love yeah, the girl I guess I'm with vote. her. I'm just like, oh, fine. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Like the eye roll, like, girl, I guess I'm with her. And mm-hmm. so there's, I think it it really captures this way that you can support someone because you have to support someone, but you can still be critical of them at the same time. Right. right? Like, you still have like, to work for my vote. Yeah. Like there's a, still could be a lot of nuance. Like you don't have to be a hundred percent behind someone. You have to be strategic and continue to push them to be better. Yeah. Girl, I guess I'm with her. Yeah. And you know what is so interesting with how, um, how big social media is right now because these attitudes, I don't think, are new. I don't think. I think we're people are being able to actually see the nuance. So normally, you probably have to be at the dinner table to hear a black person say, "I have, I'm a vote Democrat, but I don't want to," you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that people may have this monolithic impression of like people are going to vote one way. Or, regardless of views because that's just who they are but they don't they've never gotten to hear the I don't want to vote for either one of these people but I'm just trying to see which ones are going to work best for me or I could which means I could vote another way if you did support me you know and now you can hear it because people are on social media and they're expressing these things yeah exactly there are podcasts out there Mm -hmm. and people are letting it be known like I do have issues Yeah, I and I, I my opinions are I'm voting for Hillary. I I think she's the least um she's the lesser evil here. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't feel and I don't feel as strongly against her as other people do. And I also feel very strongly for her. I think I'm definitely one more of like anti-Trump, like anti, this cannot, I just can't see this being a very safe space. And I also don't see how he understands enough about how government runs to be able to lead government. I think his attitude would not be helpful for Congress becoming efficient. And I also, I think that even if he were elected, people are going to be very disappointed because the way he's talking about being able to make change isn't feasible with the system that with how the government works and they're going to be I think they're going to be very disappointed mm-hmm. because he promised all this change that he mm-hmm. can't deliver mm-hmm. because that's just that's not how the, that's that's not how the checks and balances work yeah and my feeling is that I'm very grateful to not be an American citizen mm-hmm. not just because I get to like hide across the border in Canada and see what's going on but also like the sheer ferocity of the way that I've been seeing friends debate on Facebook about oh God. the politics of different characters ever since like the pro- especially since the democratic primaries it I'm sort of relieved to not be able to have a voice because it's just so damn complicated but I yeah. do have to say that I'm really thankful that I have all the friends that I do have who've been posting about this in all different directions because I feel like I've learned a lot about the nuances of the discussions. Mm-hmm. But then I'm also grateful that I don't have to come down. Like, I don't actually have to cast a vote in any direction or whatever, deface the vote or write in the vote or anything like that just mm-hmm. because I, like, I'm just very relieved. To I be totally an understand. Facebook arguments are scary. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. Facebook is exhausting. We can't always be on top of it. It takes way too much emotional energy. It does. Particularly when the people don't want to actually... I don't know. I don't know. But this is this is a good conversation. I'm definitely thinking about Hillary. And looking forward, I do think it's interesting to try to figure out... I don't know if it's important that we always know... How is this because she's something that's sexist or is it because we don't like her or mm-hmm. like something literally like something she did? I think it's just important to know that 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 can exist. 
as we and mm-hmm. have that in the back of our heads as we look at the debates, at the debates, as we look at news, as we try to interpret things that we see or things that we're being told. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe that's a good place to wrap up. Yeah, yeah. I'm also like I'm sure. Shiloh will also be upset that we kind of talked about Janet Jackson without her. We did talk about it. But, yeah, I also want to say is, like, we're doctors, Wayne and Yao, if you're nasty. <laughs> Sorry. It's, this is the right place for it. Mm-hmm. If you're nasty. And also, if you're a nice guy and you want to go on a date with a nice person, yeah. <laughs> you can let us know. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we'll get into it another episode. Um, so yeah, this is the Doctor's Nasty. Oh, that didn't sound right. This is Doctor Liz. <laughs> Doctor Liz Wayne. Yes. And you just listened to an episode of Ph Um, thank you for listening. We really appreciate your support. Please like us and subscribe on iTunes and then follow us in all of our social media. So Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud under the PhD podcast hashtag. And we'll see you next week. Take care. Vote. Bye.